0: Now on to the podcast. Team Builder is offering both in-season and off-season strength and conditioning programs specific to pitchers or position players. These programs come free with any Team Builder free trial. Their software is trusted and used by the best. Team Builder has helped propel many teams to win championships and most recently the World Series Championship Atlanta Braves. Personally, we used Team Builder in my last couple of years at Western Illinois. You can get the program once you start a 14-day trial with TeamBuilder. Use promo code ABCA when you sign up for your free trial at TeamBuilder.com. That is T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. In this week's ABCA podcast, we talk about all things youth baseball with ABCA Youth and Dave Collett's Ethics Award Committee member and former college pitching coach Daniel Keller. Coach Keller is an 18-year continuous ABCA member and has spent over 22 years coaching pitchers. His last stop collegiately was at Cypress Community College. His path has taken him all over the baseball landscape as a coach, private instructor, and baseball entrepreneur. He started the Dugout Captain app and is now working on the Mojo app, which just teamed up with Major League Baseball to provide coaching resources to the Boys and Girls Club. This episode is a discussion on what we need to do to help youth baseball, Coach Keller is coaching his nine-year-old son now, so we talk about some of the things he's learned there. There's a lot of positive energy in this one. We both believe that we need to build passion and love for the game from the bottom up, which will help high school, college, and professional baseball. We also go into the nomination process for the ABCA Dave Kylas Ethics Award. Let's welcome Daniel Keller to the podcast. Here with Daniel Keller, 18-year continuous member of the ABCA uh, ABCA Youth Committee, uh, Dave Kylik's Ethics Award Committee, uh, worked with Dugout Captain, now Mojo, and has coached at every level of baseball. So Daniel, thanks for jumping on with me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
0: I, this is you know, not new territory, but we haven't done a ton of youth podcasts, which is great. I think we're getting to that time of year now where youth baseball is going to start rolling here for everybody. And- what does youth baseball need right now?
1: Fun. Yeah, two, two, two things popping to mind. My, my, I joined forces with Mojo, Mojo Sports, uh, an app dedicated to supporting coaches and making the game fun. Um, and at the same time, I'm circling back to the youth ranks with my own boy. So I got a nine-year-old boy. So having, having come through, kind of like you said, coaching all levels, but spent a lot of time and still doing the private sector in the youth area. But now I'm coaching my kid. Uh, So I got, you know, talk about experience, such great experience, uh, seeing it through the lens of like, oh, I'm a parent now. This is all different, right? (laughs) And uh, but the thing that is striking me now and we play pony baseball. I love the pony brand. I love all the brands, but we play pony baseball. And, you know, this aggressive baseball with base running and holding runners. And I've got a young nine year old. uh, The game is brutal. The game is slow. The game is boring. There's minimal balls put in play. Uh, And I know purist form, you you can't change the game, but uh, we can try though. I mean, we we can,
0: we can try. I mean, that's a thing like just because it's always been that way and and we're starting to lose participation numbers. I think now is the time to to tweak some things here, whether it's modifications uh, to equipment, modifications to how many people are on the field at the same time. Uh, Rob Hani is going to be on with me after this one, and he runs a, a t-ball league in the Northern Virginia area. That it's a six-six mm-hmm. six person league, so they only have six kids on the field at, at one time, and so he and I are going to dive into that because he's got some modification that he's already doing. I mean, I, there's nothing to say that you can't change in the area that you're in right now with, and and start to make some changes.
1: Amen. Amen. I think it's, a, I think it's a, akin to boiling the ocean and trying to get a movement that would be really, really difficult. But uh, having said, you know, I, I've taken a real humble approach to the game, like diving back in uh, youth baseball is beautiful in all that it teaches. And I've run a couple of companies trying to teach lessons through baseball uh, and Mojo being the, 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 the latest group to kind of take that flag and run with it. And, and just a, per, a perspective kick to the pants of why we're on the field of play. And then the development of athleticism and well-rounded athletes. We hear it on this podcast all the time. Where are my athletes gone? Scream those college coaches or pro coaches, right? And it started at the youngest ages where uh, my, my boy got picked off the first game, second base, and uh, he had no clue what was going on. It was awesome, right? He's staring at the guy like, what are you doing with the ball? <laughs> Tags him out. And I, it, what I realized, Ryan, I said, oh, my gosh. And they picked two guys off and they picked a third. I said, this is the first game of the season. These guys are good at pickoffs. So that means they must have worked pickoffs two, three, four times at practice. And heck, we've only had five, six practices. And I just started thinking about how, how, how backwards that was, that there wasn't the ground ball repetitions, the play repetitions, the swing and the hitting. And meanwhile, we were worried about stealing bases and picking guys off, which is competitive and, and positive. Um, and certainly you're learning the game by getting picked off or picking off. But right, if that doesn't scream kind of how backwards this development is, um, it, it, I don't know what it does. The, uh, fast forward again, everybody kind of that has kids can kind of giggle. We showed up the last game and uh, umpire didn't show. And I my, I put my hand up so fast. And said, I got this. I'll stand behind the mound. We're not calling box. We're going to get through this. And we nurtured every pitcher through, you know, I was exhausted after two hours. Um, but I, I also manipulated the game. We said no stealing said No advancing on past balls. And we had, we hit every kid in the line of 18, 18 kids or 20 kids got an extra at bat. We hit at least 15 to 20 more batters, put six, seven, eight more balls in play. Uh, and it was great. So it screams what you're talking about with Rob saying there's got to be modifications at some way to keep the action go, get the ball in play, you know, have kids learn, have kids having fun. But I'll, 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 pause there. <laughs>
0: and, and that's still an important piece to where I, I know everybody wants to focus on the games, but it's almost like a college inner squad setting where coaches are interacting with players on the field during games, because it should be just another practice component for them. We are, yes, you're in the competitive piece, but they still need that instruction. They need way more instruction on the game itself, how to actually play the game than the actual game itself. And I think there's some things that you can do to, to bring that piece in. And I've got, we'll, we'll get to practice planning at some point. When did you guys, so this is just the initial start for that nine U team.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, we're three or four games in. And if to, to speak to kind of the greater mission of, of why I'm involved with the ABCA, we have three teams at our division, three. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but you know, two, two teams at our level, have opted for kind of the 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 more competitive angle to the rec league which is like some plus or or you know extra uh which pulls 40 percent of the pool away from this rec area and now we've got three teams so um we're we're three or four games into the season the one thing that'll be nice is we'll be able to control a little bit more because there's just a couple of guys that are involved in leading these teams we say hey, what do we want to get done how can we modify a little bit more than we would be able to if we had a real competitive eight, 10, 12 man league. So when are you guys uh,
0: playing? When, when do you play games and then when do you practice? Say that one more time. When do you play actually play games during the week? And then when do you practice during the week?
1: We're on Wednesday, Saturday schedule, but having, having three teams, you know, the way that works, somebody's, somebody's off every Wednesday or Saturday. So it's, uh, you know, again, right, it'll be interesting because we're getting an extra day of practice every other week because we're getting a buy. So we're going to play less games, which I think will be actually, you know, on, on one hand's a blessing because we get to practice a lot more than we would. Um, we're doing three meetings a week, right? We got two, two games typically in a practice, and then every other week one of those games is off, so we get a bonus practice.
0: So we're three times a week. How are you managing workload pitcher-wise with your pitchers?
1: Being a pitching guy, I tell you what uh, – we at nine, you, I do very, very little pitching. As a matter of fact, we're going to practice today. And I, I I saw my buddy who we coach with at flag football practice last night. I said, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling guilty. I think I'm going to modify the practice plan and take pitchers the entire 90 minutes. I mean, that's what I do. I'm a pitching guy from college down to the, the, the rec leagues. And I find myself doing very little pitching instruction because of practice planning one-on-one, right. And pulling myself off the field to dedicate, with a couple of kids during the practice, probably one of the more difficult things to navigate for youth coaches, especially young youth coaches. Um, we've done more interactive stuff, so more live arm scrimmage The kids comfortable throwing strikes, saying we want you to get hit, you're throwing batting practice, get the hitters comfortable, or, um, you know, 4v4v4, four, V4, four guys in the cages, quote unquote, or doing some sort of instruction or reps, four guys offense, four guys defense and rotating around. And we've done that with kid pitch, trying to get more reps hitter versus pitcher. Um, so but as far as practice planning goes, kind of getting into that I, in the clinics that I do, I always recommend, hey, it's a one off. It's one of those one offs where typically when once we get the batting practice, I exit stage left and I'm calling two pitchers over and pitching and catching and flipping. Uh, and maybe having a third guy that's stepping in. So I, I like to have the next pitcher helmet on, glove on, stepping in and taking pitches and seeing pitches, even if he's six feet off the plate, right? Let's advance the uh, the comfort level of both pitcher and hitter. And again, these are young, these are nine-year-olds. They're, they're not super comfortable with seeing pitching or making pitches. Um, but during batting practice, onesie, twosies, trying to make sure that I'm preparing kids, developing kids, and then I have yet to do it. We're only, you know, a half dozen practices in, but trying to throw a nugget to those middle to lower tier kids that say, hey, I want to pitch. I want to pitch. I want to, give them, I want to give them love. I want to find an opportunity for them.
0: We had that in the throwing program. So after we went through our defensive portion on the throwing program and they would long toss, and then when they came in, everybody flat ground. So everybody threw to a catcher, they'd throw their three or four pitches. And this is where we added in breathing routines with the young kids. I've done breathing routines with six-year-olds. So this is where we would start with the foundational of, okay, I'm going to take my breath. I'm going to get my sign. I'm going to come set, take my breath. I'm going to pitch. Oh, I love it and so it was every day they were throwing flat grounds even if they weren't getting off the mound but then mixed in uh pickoffs with that as well and again these are all defensive things that you can add in every day where you're touching it you know micro dosing that every day first with the warm-up piece the base running piece then with yes. the defensive catch but yeah we would have them flat ground every day with a, a pitcher catcher even if it was just 10 15 pitches. So they were microdosing, getting comfortable, getting off the mound, and mixing in pickoffs every day, yeah. pickoffs to second base. That was part of their catch play. So they were basically microdosing all of those throws they were going to have to make every day. So they got more comfortable with it.
1: W- would you do that with all players? Yeah, all players. Players? With all that, players with that with Love those that.
0: age groups. You know, Jamie sure. Carroll and I talk about this a lot. He's at he's coached his son all the way through, even though he was coaching with the Pirates. Yep. He talked about it. He still has 13-year-old kids. Those whole, those kids he's had since they were eight or nine years old, every one of those kids is pitched all the way through. And he said, and I'm going to talk about parenting here, he said it's driven some of their parents crazy, but he and I both were smaller kids that you just don't know when those growth spurts are going to hit. So if you can introduce all those kids to pitching all the way through, they may end up pitching for their high school team if they get to that point. If or hey, coach, I'm comfortable doing it. I've I've done it all the way through, um, you know. And again, mm-hmm. he's had some battles with his parents in that that age group. But those kids are going to be better off for it when they get to high school.
1: Yeah, and and I love oh, I practice planning principle of multiple touches, and that's a daily thing. Yes. But if you think about the comfort associated, even with mound progression, straddle, step on, look in, come set, breath work. I mean, that you need a dozen you need 30 50 100 reps and you need a dozen bad failures before that starts to be ingrained and, and innate uh, base running leadoffs all that stuff we we do a lot of base running as warm-up right yes. so with, at this age we scrap you know I, I know I want dynamic movements and blood flow um, so we, we we may rip through a, a dynamic hit to the ba- head the bases or s- scrap that all together and say look we're gonna get loose by reiterating uh, base running fundamentals because I know base running, is, you know, three out of 10 practices gets, gets kicked off because you run out of time. Yep. So we do a lot of that to try and, to my, try and get those touches. But I love that at the end of, at the end of cl- catch play, going to flat ground, we gotta, we gotta hurry up and play catch better before we can <laughs> do
0: something. Well, that, that that's part ground. of it too. But it, but yeah, the base but, running but piece, but that's a, that's back. a dynamic, war- that was a dynamic warm up piece for me was the base running piece. Absolutely. Okay. And so yeah. you can have two lines of, of leads and just working on going back and forth. I mean, there's multiple things that you can mix in to, again, microdose that as part of practice mm. planning every day. And even if it's just a minute, uh, they're they're going to retain that information better and, and what they're actually doing because you're hitting it small amounts every day and moving it on to the next thing. And anybody that's listening in right now, I have multiple practice plans. Uh, we're going to put some youth practice plans on the app. So anybody that has the My say app, you can get those youth practice plans that I used to use with Jackson's group growing up. I never did anything during games with them, but I would help get them started in the right direction. Talk about that hitting piece. I think that's an important piece of hitting is the best thing we would do for them is we would soft toss. We would have everybody on the field. We would have guys working on their on-deck routines. We did on-deck routines with with the eight mm-hmm. young age group kids too, so working on how they actually work on deck, get ready for the hitter. They can work on their breathing routines at that point. But we would do four soft toss reps. Fifth rep, guy was was running out. They were playing it live. And then that base running group was also the hitting group. And then the defense rotated. As soon as the hitter rotated live, the defense rotated around. So first base went to second, second short, short to third. Third went to the outfield. You know, we'd only have one outfielder, so they were getting more reps. But Love those that. were all things with that, you know, if you have a nine or 10 man group, you could have two, two groups of five, one's hitting base mm-hmm. running, and one's playing defense. And then that way it's not the old, you know, everybody belly aches where they walk by the field where one coach is throwing and everybody's standing around and not every coach is going to be good at throwing batting practice. That's, that's part right. of it too. With the young, you might have a first time coach that, that isn't comfortable throwing BP. That's okay. Soft toss. Let them soft toss, get a bunch of reps in, and then play it live. But anybody that wants those practice plans, either reach out to me, at abca.org, or jump on the MyABC app, and they should be in there. So,
1: I love that. Yeah, one, one thing I would add to that, that that has morphed since coming back to the youth game with my own kid, I absolutely love that. Uh, Reminding me of Dave Demarest down here in Southern California, La Quinta High School forever. His, his phrase was soft throw scrimmage. So even at the college level, putting that ball in play, so the, the, the coach is at an L screen 38 feet away, able to throw sliders and change-ups and in and out and, and con- control the game to a certain degree, but just getting that ball in play. And so soft tossing the hitters, heck, putting on a tee, getting the ball in play, live defense, pressure of base running. I love it. Another thing that has, has happened over the last couple of years coming back to the game is I've used pre-game as, a, as an opportunity. I say practices for concepts. Pre-game is for reps, uh, and the games are for the players. Right. So it's like I'm going to stay as as much as you can try and let the kids play during the game. But we really utilize those 45 minutes. But we go 45 minutes before a game again at eight, nine. I know that'll stretch to an hour or whatever. Um, But we hammer those 45 minutes. They're really constructive, a lot of repetitions. And then one thing I do, Ryan, which has come up organically over the last couple of years, is we'll take hitters, one group, you know, and, and, and ground balls, essentially another group. And that third group is where I live. And I put a mini diamond of bases down along the outfield line. And I'm covering the catch-all, the, the, whether it's pitchers covering home plate, first baseman learn how to hold runners on. Uh, I might just work double play feeds or something fun or different just to get hands and feet firing. But that's been another great tip in the coaching clinic realm world, Um, That mini diamond one, just teaching concepts through the mini diamond and then recognizing that pregame is such an opportunity to get both repetitions practice. You really can make it what you want. But like, hey, if we did a a, a soft toss scrimmage and repetition uh, uh, instruction theme during practice, well, I can make up for those lost swings, quote unquote, pregame. You know, I can, I can talk a lot less and say, Hey, we're going to take a knee and throw wiffles live arm. And we're going to go through, you know, we're going to empty two buckets and get everybody 25 swings and then we'll rotate. Yeah. And it, and it just takes a lot of the pressure and the anxiety off of a coach that thinks I have to be, I have to do everything. And I have to be everything. It's like, So you're going like three, three fifteen
0: time. minute rotations, that 45 minute block you're doing three, 15 minute rotations where they're rotating around every 15 yeah. minutes. And even,
1: and even, even quicker than that. We're probably at seven or eight minutes because we're doing catch play and now we're going to do some, some flat ground work. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and then we're taking them down the line for some base running. I, much like yourself going through a on deck routine. I I love the kids crisp uniforms all down the foul line, breaking on a, you know, on a leg lift, like a college program or a high school program been involved with. And I think that's neat for the kids to be a part of. They see in our area of Southern California, they see Shohei and Trout and Mookie Betts doing it before pregame. Hey, we go down the line. We do our, our, our two maybe steel breaks just to get the blood flowing and check that box. Then we take a knee down the left field line and we talk concepts. We talk baseball. And I love this differentiation. So we'll finish our three stations, bring everybody to the foul line, take a knee uh, or, or do our couple of base runnings or lead breaks Then we'll take a knee and finish the baseball discussion. And then as soon as we walk back to the dugout, I grab that bucket and it's all positions, batting lineup. It's like, all right, now I got to scrub this up against reality and realize they're eight and nine. Yeah, Yeah, the catcher's gear goes on this way. Your hats are going to go here, right? You got to go to like dugout monitor one-on-one. So uh, it's cool. How are you organizing the dugout
0: for them? How are you organizing it?
1: Uh, we got a dedicated dugout dude. I mean, DDD, man, that guy's job is right. Hey, make sure they're having fun, but keep them off the fences. Keep, you know, if they're, if they're drinking their Gatorade, make sure it's responsible They keep the trash up. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I violate my rule every game, but I'm trying to keep my notes in my pocket and keep an idea of what we need to work on and what went well, who's making great plays so I can reference them at the end and be positive. Uh, and let the kids play. And the challenge is bringing that back to us is, is you know, I, 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 I do a lot of the coaching clinics here in Southern California, and I shared this with every rec league program I talked to. Last year, we finished our last two games with one ball put in play. The entire two games. And my boy is fantastic. He's mildly interested in baseball. I mean, at best, right? He loves basketball. He likes soccer. and He likes baseball. He likes hanging out with the fellas. But, you know, I'm saying, hey, focus, pre-pitch, ready position. He's like, what for? Bob's? what are we doing here? I've got w- We've got one ball put in play. It was at the first base, and stepped on the bag in two games.
0: Yeah, my and college teammates and I, we have a group chat going, and Jamie's on there, but he, somebody asked the question, like, when should kid pitch actually start? And oh. I said, this is where the Little League model actually worked you know, and everybody's so focused on size, but that's where the little league model when it was nine, when nines played with twelves, that's where the little league model was different because it was usually your 11 and 12 year olds that were actually pitching. It wasn't your nines and tens that pitched unless you had a really advanced nine or, or 10 year mm-hmm. old, but that kind of took care of that maybe not as many balls put in play because your 11s and 12s were going to throw more strikes, you know? And again, I, everybody has different opinions on that, but I think that kind of took care of it a little bit and limited a little bit of the reps for your young guys, maybe not throwing too much at at that point too, because your older guys were doing most of it. But again, there's no right or wrong with that too.
1: No takeaway is just youth game needs action, right? Youth game needs fun. And and development happens by making mistakes and making plays. Yes. So th- those are the principles we should be ch- chasing, regardless of yes, you know, organization affiliation or level. Yes.
0: You know, I, I, how can we help parents have a healthy perspective on development with with the young kids and and maybe where their kids at comparatively and and staying away from some of the keeping then up with the Joneses piece on that is there a way that we can help parents have a healthier perspective on, on where kids are at at a young age?
1: Wow, what a, what a,
0: and that was from problem. Eric Kibble, by the way, who's on yeah. the youth committee with us. That was one of his questions yeah. was, I thought it was a phenomenal question.
1: Well, there's so many different ways you can go with that, right? Like, like to, to keep uh, the the first thing that pops to mind is, is, you know, organization wide, how do we empower coaches to run good practices to provide a great experience for the youth, right?
0: And the And also the empower to parents to do it at home too. Amen. I, Amen. I think that I think that's the education piece that we can continue to get across to parents is that yes, the facility time is important, the on the field time with their coaches is important, but you're probably gonna be your most important component of your kid actually enjoying the game itself. Mm by spending time with them at home and mm. you know you talked about wiffle balls wiffle balls are your best friend as a, as a young parent who maybe doesn't know about baseball at all Wiffle balls are going to be your best friend with with playing the game with your kids
1: amen amen yeah reps right reps um yeah there, there's there's so much to go with that uh, on, on the private side I, i'm I'm a pitching instructor right now we constantly say the magic happens between sessions right the magic happens with daily touches in front of a mirror daily catch play you know uh, one or two bullpens in between but but the magic doesn't happen when you're showing up for even a practice right the, the true development happens over good quality reps, which can be as easy as hitting wiffle balls, right? You you take a hundred swings, you're gonna iron out a lot of flaws, and you're gonna identify what are what are the flaws that need to be addressed, right? Um, yeah, it's just it's it's going back to your question about how, how do we uh, uh, how do we provide what, a, a great experience for the kids and the parents, and then how do we provide objective feedback to see where they stand? Is that, is that what, what and mastery
0: that... is an important piece for them too um allowing a kid to feel like they are mastering skills that that's part of them wanting to continue to play as well as is, is to, they feel like they're developing mastery and a lot of that mastery happens on their own too where even if it's just kicking them outside and and hey go throw the wiffle ball off the garage for a little bit or yeah. even if you toss the wiffle ball up and and try to hit it you know, those are things that we've lost along the way that, that kids did a lot of, okay, send them with a wiffle ball bat and a wiffle ball in the backyard. They toss it up and, and try to hit it and see how many times you can hit it. And those are some things that we can try to reiterate and bring back as well, that the self-mastery piece is an important part of wanting to continue any anything that you're doing.
1: Yeah, two, two things screaming in my head that you just you just touched on beautifully. One, learning how to learn, right? Learning how to learn, whether it's an, an advanced pitcher, tackling a curveball for the first time, realizing there's a process to learning a secondary pitch. And, and that process, well, it's going to be greatly different between changeup to curveball, to slider, to cutter. That's a, that's, that's a learned skill, learning to learn and attacking a challenge and making a mistake and making an adjustment. I think that's, that's the life lesson 101 that we've taught a young athlete to grind, grow, take feedback, self-coach. Uh, I love that um hey where are you
0: starting how young when you have a kid come in your facility that that's doing pitching lessons for the first time where do you start with them
1: oh I'm I'm a mechanical monster I'm I'm, by the way so I mean what do you
0: okay so if most important mechanics piece you know if you have if there's somebody listening in what are your most important pieces that you're trying to get with them when they first come in
1: so if I if if I'm going begin basics pitching, I use a number system that identifies positions, and I use freezes and holds. And I, I'm I'm no joke, Ryan. I'm twenty thousand half-hour lessons deep. Like I have a ring of a bucket top on my rear end that is permanently ingrained. Twenty thousand half-hour lessons. So I have a system that I can follow, and and to a T, guarantee youth results. Uh, I go I go one, two, three through the chronological development. One is balance point, leg lift. Two is a loaded power position and three is a finish. But mm, highest macro level, I address a balance point first. I call it position number one. Always maintain a number one, the most important thing that we let it rip, full intent, having fun, uh, never losing or, uh, any sort of intent through uh, analysis. But balance point one. And then I go all the way to the finish three. So I bookend the athlete with strength and balance early strength and balance late. And then we work in between to that loaded power position and start a little bit more movement based. So I know that was kind of top level, but tap uh, drill was one of the position. first
0: play. And I, and I tap drill is one of the first things we did with the younger kids is getting the feel for having their hand break on time with their knee drop that was a big one for me with getting the ball in a good position when their foot lands is mm-hmm. is making sure their their hand handbrake and their knee drop were on time. Travis Lawler does a really good job. He's been a college guy. He's a high school jo- guy. His barnstormers will come out later on, but his dad was a longtime pitching coach. But he uses the count system also, and yeah, he, he does yeah. a really good explanation with that barnstormers, the count system. It's awesome. That's awesome. I,
1: I, I, I got no problem with freezes and holes and I understand that. You know, Especially at the, the young age, the you know,
0: I, oh my gosh, it's, th- it's there, there's like, a they, time for block practice. There is. And, and when mastery isn't there yet, they need more block practice. Yes. Uh, I, I get the randomization piece and that's important, but there needs to be some of that in the initial, when they don't have mastery for what they're doing yet, that's there right. has to be some of that block training.
1: You, you've got to build the foundation for them. And and you just brought up a, a movement or a principle that we would agree that the hands are going to separate when the knee starts down and out. Well, putting, simply putting that's That's a foundational a piece for, for all, all, piece. all pitchers
0: that have command that happens. They all look different and they move different, but that's a foundational piece for almost every guy that can command the baseball is that their hands are going to break when their glove, when their knee drops.
1: Yeah. That's and, it. and, and what I think is you you've, you've, you've give, you you've coached them. You put them in a position where the athlete can feel, can focus, can address and the freezes and the holds allow for that. And, and as quickly as possible, right? Like I think our training system would move from positions to movements, but the positions help teach the movements and they allow the athlete to chunk and focus on a specific area and have a feel. I always say there's no, there's, there's no wrong, no right. There's just feel, And so we're trying to identify an accountability with a specific part of the body. And I love going right to, you know, if you go all the way to advanced pitch mechanics and say, Hey, we're going to ride the back hip and we're going to load and explode off of that back. Like I go right to a a eight-year-old pitcher for the first time, a seven-year-old pitcher for the first time saying, I'm going to put you in a balance point hole. And I want you to understand that the ultimate end goal is to use and feel and engage the backside when you break. Now, obviously that's going to be, you know, a different foreign language. We but put
0: the core VLO belt on the young guys too in camp. Yeah. We would put the core velocity belt on just so they could feel it. You know, we, we did that with sure. the young kids too.
1: But it doesn't take away from the fact that you take a humble, humble pie pill and realize that a freeze and a hold is a, a beneficial thing for the young pitcher.
0: Yes. Yep. For yeah. sure. Definitely. You know, <laughs> Eric also asked about ranking systems with the youth. I don't know if that's a can of worms. We want to open, um, you know, <laughs> I understand. I think this is more of a parent thing than anything is the parents want to see the the rankings. I, I don't think kids buy into it as much, but I think yeah, I, parents, I, would, I think the parents want to see it.
1: I would love to jump in and say I, I have with a, again, a heavy dose of humility. I live my life in the rec world yep. and professionally uh, I serve those parents. And I always say, I, I believe you can prepare and build an athlete to become the next Mike Trout or Mookie Betts while also honoring the fact that the game has to be fun to keep them in the development, that, that uh, the perspective has to be long-ranged and, and a vision beyond where does my, my, my tw- nine-year-old stand against the other nine-year-olds in the nation. So I would think it would be everybody should take an exhale and a deep breath to say, look, if, you're, if your athlete is elite, the, the talent will play through. To a certain degree, we have to empower them, coach them up, make sure we put them in a position for success, but I almost would take the pressure off of a parent to say, look, keep the game fun, Uh, put them, put them, put him him or her in in positions to succeed with people not named mom or dad that are great influences that understand that have been there and done that, but have that right. That healthy perspective and and talent's going to play through. It's like the big man's in in charge much more than we think we are. Um, But I think what, what, what ends up happening is, yeah, we either pigeonhole or force too many reps, uh, early, early specialization in, in in a sport or a position. And like you said, I I was a, what a, a, a catcher until high school became a shortstop in a freshman year and didn't even pitch till junior. And then was a pitcher, my senior year into high school and got drafted as a pitcher. It's like, and and heck, I'm 6'1", a buck 70. I should have been something else. Like, <laughs> who
0: knows? And, and for me, this is where the Little League Pony and Babe Ruth model have it figured out because you're playing for an end-of-season tournament. And I think this is where we've gotten crossways with, with it is because almost every weekend, someone's playing for a championship rather than building for a championship at the end of the year where, yes, you can figure out, you've got some time to figure out where guys should be playing it's not immediately out of the chute where we're trying to win that first weekend where we have some build-up time towards the end of the year where we can rotate guys around and 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 girls around and 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 see what their best position is for the end of the year not for first weekend out of the chute i think that's where the little league pony and babe ruth model have always been good because that's similar to a college and pro season they're building towards something at the end of the year. And I think that brings some development pieces back that we're not playing for a championship until the end of the year. So That's that right. builds right. in that development piece that, okay, we're going to let this thing play out a little bit. And we're not trying to win a championship the first weekend.
1: And and you, you, yet we could still have a more aggressive fall season where maybe we play a little bit more competitively, right? We get the community aspect and the benefit of the spring, and, and I think we, we, we all need to realize the opportunity cost, while you could probably say it's significant if I only play 20 games or 30 games in the spring versus, you know, 70, 80, 90, I would argue that the athleticism development, the, the holistic athlete that you're building by playing the multiple sports and lowering those reps in the spring or whatever that calendar is, that balance, right, Ryan, yes. like that, that perspective balance. The fall could still have a more competitive region, and we could we could get after it a little bit more, training wise or or tournament wise. You can find that happy balance, but certainly if we're looking at the the playoffs and and out here Scherzer pitching on short rest, question mark was he tired was he not? That happens for adults professionals They're one adults. time a year. They're right? adults. They're adults, and and they do it. They, they know what they're doing one time a year, right? We're putting our kids in that every weekend saying, yeah, buddy, only threw 30 pitches yesterday. He's going to throw 60 today. And we're under the number. It's absurd and it's crazy. And that's the start that, that, that once you get into that engine and now you're competing to be the ranked 11 year old or 10 year old, you have no choice. Like I don't blame you for trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? We have to save ourselves from ourselves. Yeah. And and so it really does. It's It's, it's just screams to, this competitive balance of 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 keeping kids in the game on one hand, letting the game teach life lessons, which is why we are all on the planet, right? While also empowering those that are elite and God is blessed with the talent to take it and run with it, while also giving the tools they need to do that. So, as coaches, I think you're ambassadors to all of them. But to think that, you know, and we've had this talks a lot about ABCA and USA Baseball is that like we do a really good job training up those elite level national teams. Uh, and we're still trying to figure out well, the bottom of the iceberg, which is ninety four percent of all the participatory athletes. Right? That's this, and that's the community that that we're trying to reach with the youth committee, the ABCA, and even with the ethics committee. Is like let's let's remember why we're all here.
0: I mean, I don't know. Like, let's get off our soapbox now, but.
1: Well, and I I want you to touch
0: a little bit more on the ethics committee, too, because I don't think people know as much about that. Can you can you go through the nomination process? Because we've talked about that. You know, anybody that's a member, you can nominate anybody for for the ethics award. I mean, that's open to anybody. I think everybody looks at those awards and they think, well, that's just a college thing or that's a high school thing. Those are open to anybody that's given their life to the game of baseball.
1: And, and amen to that. We, we, we really need nominations for our organization and for those individuals that need to be highlighted. Uh, and, and there's a couple different things going on there. Thank you very much for bringing that up. The Ethics Award, I believe it, it kicks off every year, fellows, uh, at the convention. It's the first award that's given. And I think it's bef- before we hear from uh, the national championship coach, right. We're hearing about the ethics award winner and it really puts in perspective, the importance and the reason of why
0: we coach. And actually, and just, I loved and your article, article, your inside pitch magazine article. Is, is oh, did
1: I, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and, and it comes back to like the community aspect of this group this is a powerful group and we all have somebody and I'm on the committee and I kick myself every year. Oh my gosh, I didn't submit somebody this year. Right. Not every year. I'm, I'm maybe I'm fifth maybe I'm about 500 here, but, uh, we all have somebody that comes right to mind right now and I challenge the listener to say, who, who's that person in your life that has been a lifelong baseball servant that has given themselves up to the game and to the development of you as an athlete, you as a coach, as a mentor, or as a player when, when you were playing for them at the youth level, at the high school level, at the rec level. This award is for any coach that is, has that is, that is been impactful uh, and ethics is a wide ranging right umbrella but but just says that it has, has served, and so there's a there's a nomination form on the ABCA website. Um, the code of ethics is listed, but you put ABCA Ethics Award nominee. Uh, you're finding it; it's not hard to find. But we actually like we need nominations. We're better off with more nominations. We've had we have a strong pool, um, but those winners to to speak to that article I wrote recently for Inside Pitch. You, you know, with Coach Walter at. at Wake Forest, that all organically happened through the ABCA where I heard your podcast with Coach Walter. I read a book that he recommended, and it impacted me on my grinding Thursday night six-hour session with 10 pitchers. I needed that fuel. I needed that perspective boost to keep me in my right mind to go serve. And uh, that all comes back to this award of like, how do we keep and shine a light on those that are doing it right? And they can be that influence on the rest of us. Um, they don't have to be 100 years old with 60 years of, of experience. They certainly can.
0: Yeah, that's not right? part of the criteria. I mean, that, no. that's not part of the criteria. You, you, can, you can be a, a rec
1: league youth coach that's seven years out of the box, seven months out of the box, that's doing something impactful in the community and leading the, the, the community of baseball the right way. And we aim to recognize those, those individuals.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, your takeaway on, on lead for God's sake what, what was the biggest takeaways with that book?
1: Oh man. So lead for God's sake, uh, Kentucky high school basketball coach perspective on what is important and why God's put you on the earth. Why, why do you coach the challenge? And the, the and I, here, here's a great tangent for we baseball coaches on this podcast. I, as early as 2019, I thought I was going back into baseball as a full-time coach and, and I'm 45 years old. So this is like, you know, I'm 40 years old. I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest, Ryan. But I had this great experience of diving into the game and 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 charging through the ABCA ranks to find networking and had a paying gig job ready to go. I'm an entrepreneur in the baseball world for 25 years and coached the whole way through. I said it, it had some changes, man, this would be a great time to dive in and really make a run at it. it makes sense. I can compete with the 24 year olds. Let's go. Uh, Not so much. And, and ended up going all the way through this exercise, had the paying job right in front of me. And with two, with two young kids and a wife and a a home, I said, what am I doing? I can't do this. I can't pull this off. Right. And here's what it left me with though. Why do I coach? Right. Am I coaching for, for the ego, for a paycheck, for, to, to say, look at me, I'm a D1 pitching coach. And while a big part of me was like, look, that challenge of that and having the resources to actually do things at a certain level that I've never been able to would have been fantastic. right?" I listened to the, the tools and the, the data tools and the, you know, the RepSoto tools. And I go, oh, my gosh, I've never been exposed in an environment where I could support kids with those tools. So that was intriguing to me. But at the end of the day, what it said was, why do you coach? And so we all need to look at it and go, why do we coach? And I know that book, which was Lead for God's Sake, hit me right between the eyes saying, we coach for relationships, right? We coach for service. We coach to leave it better behind us so we can impact developing young people. And, and, I, and that's, that's only because I got gray hairs here. I can say that with like eloquence because I didn't know. You know, I wanted to win and compete. I still want to win and compete. I'm stepping on some 10-year-old throats on Saturday. Let's go. (laughs) But why do I coach you? I eliminated base running and running on pass balls to everybody's chagrin at the last youth league game I was at because I want to see the kids develop. I want to see them play.
0: And an easy question is ask your players if they like it better, and they're going to tell you they enjoyed that game better than the other one. And 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 I think that, you know, when we would go to practice with Jackson and he was a tough critic, I would be like, Hey, did you enjoy practice today? Yep. Okay. It must've been a good youth practice playing. He enjoyed practice. Do you like it when I'm there? Yes. Okay. That's good. Cause he would have been honest with me. He would have been like, no, I don't want you around anymore. But that was all I needed to hear was that I enjoyed practice and I want you to be there. So that was yeah. good enough for me on that end. And I, we need to ask the kids, what they want. You know, I get so into those the, arguments all the time with, with coaches and parents. Like that's not what the kids want. I'm like, well, have you actually asked them? I think you would get some really good information from them if you would ask them, if you're actually enjoying it.
1: And, and, and to the coach's perspective, it's, that's so well said, uh, this Mojo outfit I'm working with, they send a, a notification after practice that says, was your practice fun? You have to rate the fun factor. And was it effective for you? And I was doing a project for him and working with the Giants. The, the youth initiative for the Giants has some great um, post-practice introspective questions for you as a coach, right? We coaches should be fulfilled. We should be trying to lose ourselves through, through practice. I think coaches should be selfish to provide a practice plan that allows them to coach and give and serve, not to be frustrated, angry. Demanding and, and and calling for focus from a nine-year-old, like no, your practice plan needs to create focus and opportunities for you to teach, right? Individual rotations as and and we can go nerd out on the practice plans, but at the end of practice, to take a quick look and go, hey, what was good? What needs work? There's there's no more responsible question to ask yourself. And and the same thing would go true. Did we have fun, kid? Right? What did you like best about this? What part did you not like? And then. Maybe if I, I still need to work that skill, obviously, or that technique or whatever that drill is, I got to find a different way to do it. Because
0: that's part of serving. You know, it, it, you're, you're there to serve the kids. That, that's why you're there. And so shorter stints during practice keeps you away from some of those headaches you get because now we're moving on to the next thing and, and it keeps it hopping for them. But it also makes the time go better for you as a coach, too. That that ninety minutes that you have flies when you're doing something for three minutes and moving on to the next thing. That thirty, that ninety minutes is going to fly for you as a coach. It's going to fly.
1: Practice planning one on one for sure, for sure. (laughs) Now,
0: hey, turning down that job is that is that your biggest fail forward moment, or do you have other fail forward moments that stick out to you? Something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you.
1: Wow, great great question. Hadn't hadn't, hadn't even thought about really the, the fact that that um that's a fail forward moment. But yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a big one that I don't dwell on it at, at all, right? I think that the challenge of the that 23 to 33 coach who's grinding it out as a grad assistant and and charging the ladder, I would never take that dream away uh, or tell someone not to do that, right? I would also I got a young kid who I'm working with in the private sector who who stepped away from the game after graduating as a senior, and and kind of we kind of gave him a long leash, and he'll be a second year college kid and came back saying, "Hey, I think I might want to play." And I'm like, "Holy smokes, let's go get on the field, right? You got the rest of your work, life to work. Oh my gosh, so uh, ex- exhausting." All possibilities. I feel as if, uh, yeah, I laid it all out there as a coach on the field professionally, and I also think, why do I coach? I can't wait to be old and gray and back in a more competitive uniform. If that makes any sense, right? I want. Now I know that my my position is like, I, I get my scratch my itch, and I get the aggressive training. Uh, having done pitching, worked as a pitching coach for twenty three years. Um, a couple nights a week, I'm still grinding. I'm still learning. I'm listening to Cressy's podcast, dear friend. I love, love, love Woolforth and Cressy and Jager and and all the guys and
0: and uh, Wheeler. That they've done a lot for the for the game. Oh my god, they've done it's, a lot it's for accelerated pitching, all those guys right.
1: so much so fast the last five years. But I realized personally that, that my path is different at this point, and I'm a I'm a father and and a provider, and so. Being in uniform for my last stop was a community college stint. I can't, I, you know, I can't do it. And I'm, and and I've come to the point where I'm happy with that. Right. I still pop my head in there and give and serve and jump in the bullpen a couple of times in the fall, a couple of times in the spring, but you know, different strokes for different folks. I would say this though, grind it out, right? Like get to the point where you can hang your hat at night
0: and say, look, I gave it everything I had, no matter how it turns out, I gave everything I had. Amen. Hey, what are the biggest things you learned from Scott Pickler? Uh,
1: sitting on a bucket next to Scott, Scott Pickler, I always say, I, I learned more sitting on a bucket in, a, in, a, in an afternoon uh, than years on my own. The seeing the game with a different lens. I, I can vividly remember keeping my mouth shut and watching Coach Pickler position infielders and outfielders and the two out adjustments. And, and the, the hybrid of, of you know, bringing, that, uh, bringing a defense in with a man on third base, but then pushing the middle infielders back five feet, just the subtleties to the game. Um, I spent one summer in Cape Cod coaching with Coach Pickler, and this is probably 10 years ago now, um, and just blown away by – I'm, I'm juggling lineups and trying – I'm just the pitching guy, right? But um, trying to figure out – somebody prepared for 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 this part of the lineup he's three innings ahead thinking when we get to the four five six hole we got lefty lefty righty lefty we got to have the lefty prepared (laughs) like it blew my mind the management skills you know that's part of being in a
0: dugout for that long it slows down and um you know that's for people that aren't baseball fans they're like well it's too slow I'm like you've never been in a dugout before if once you've been in a dugout and, and all those decisions that have to be made to be prepared for what all the what ifs of what could possibly happen, you have oh. a much larger appreciation for what goes on during a baseball game.
1: I want to share, too, because Coach Pickett has become I, uh, just a dear friend and a mentor and I look up to him so much. The humility yep. of I, I feel like there's a humility bell curve. And, and the Hall of Famers, going back to almost the ethics question, right? Like we charge with a huge ego. You have to have to compete, especially at the highest levels of coaching. And then they, they achieve some sort of level of success and they kind of come down on the back end where they've, it's almost like, well, I've achieved everything, quote unquote. I got, he's got six state titles and national coach here now as a Hall of Famer. The humility with which Coach Pickler specifically will dive into a bullpen session, and we will curse each other out and get after it and grind, uh, is so refreshing, yeah. right? And I think I've seen that from Coach O'Connell, who's running the ethics uh, committee, Coach Shelley, who just retired. Like there, there is there is is such an admirable humility that comes with experience, yes. right? And so uh, Coach Pickler exudes that. Still, he's still on the field grinding, but. Um, he wants to learn with the rest of us, right? The ego is gone. It's long gone, um, which doesn't and mean- And that's part of, as a
0: young coach too, you don't realize it till you get older. You know, I think all of us as young coaches, you don't see it until you're in it long enough. And then you have a much bigger appreciation for those guys that were older when you were a younger coach, just because you see it from a different different vein. And mm-hmm. again, they've earned that respect but they are. It's amazing how humble the guys that are extremely successful are. And, and maybe it's because they, they can breathe a little bit mm. and, and they're not fighting it as much that now it's okay. I can, not that you ever back off, but it's, I can take a little bit of a deep breath here and I have a much better perspective on, on what things actually are.
1: Well, how about that book Lead for God's Sake saying the challenge would be for us younger coaches, I put that in heavy quotes, but for us to try and assume those character traits of leaderships and the world's best coaches, the world's best leaders before we're there, right? Like how can I assume that trust and that perspective that says I'm going to serve, I'm going to do the right thing uh, and simplify decision-making. You even said something earlier about like, I, I, I know what I can do today. Right. Um, that I, I'm, and you it may come up in your questions, but I'm reading uh, uh, the book I'm reading right now, which will come up this, this line is, uh, what's the title for, for people that are listening so, on the audio? Uh, the lion trackers guide to life. Who, who wrote lion it? Tracker, uh, Boyd Vardy. Okay. So B O Y D V A R T Y Boyd Vardy. Uh, I just picked it up recently. So I'm about a third of the way through. It's a real, real short book, but the line it's these lion trackers in Africa who, who basically just, they wake up in the morning and they hear a roar and they go find the lion. <laughs> and so there's so many life analogies to it, but he said, uh, I I have no idea where I'm going, but I know how to get there. Yeah, love it, uh, and it just smacks me across the face. It, it, all they're trying to do is find that first set of tracks, so they don't know where they're going to end up, but they know exactly how to get there. And I'm like, wow, what a powerful, great line, right? Like, um, but this book, this book came recommended of, of a podcast that we were talking about. But the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life
0: is my my current go-to. Love it. Hey. W- w- m- Let's get back to Mojo. You know, again, this is a great idea. I love it. Uh, MLB's teamed up with this, with Boys and Girls Clubs. Uh, it looked like 50,000 subscriptions to Boys and Girls Clubs. And this is kind of what we're talking about from a practice planning standpoint. How do you make the game fun? Maybe right. some of those itineraries or checklists that you can send off to people. Just dive in a little bit more on that with the Mojo app.
1: Yeah, quick background. Six years ago, I wrote a business plan for a company called Dugout Captain, which was a digital clipboard. So basically, we wrote a curriculum, a developmental curriculum, and and with bullet point objectives at each of the ages, and then then practice plans to achieve and work towards those objectives. And then we filmed a drill library to fill the practice plans. And then the real cool tool was this this digital clipboard where you could grab a practice plan and share it to your coaches and parents. And the whole concept is to make the game fun again, to make practice more effective, more fun for the coach, which in turn benefits the kid and and keep the kids playing the game. Um, uh, Through a long drawn out, um, you know, blessing from above, I crossed paths with Mojo and shed a tear because I said, oh, my gosh, these guys did it. And the technology associated with this Mojo app is remarkable. And I say that with humility again, because I tried to do it for five years. And and failed forward to end up with with an outfit and a crew full of A-list players that are doing this the right way. Um, so it's a free tool that is uh, a download. There's hundreds of thousands of members already, and it's just it's skyrocketing because ease of use. You know, you're five or six clicks in, and you got your first practice plan based on your ages, your playing level, your roster size, and it's going to spit out. Um, ready-made practice plans for you and guide you your whole season and then gives you the flexibility to start looking at activities or drills and and figure out and build your own practice plans. So it's, it's, it's a, I mean, Ryan, for it, it's earth shattering the effect that it could have, and it has football and uh, flag football and softball and soccer and basketball as well. Um, But to empower coaches to run a better practice is everything to what we've talked about in the game right? Like let's have a, a more fun practice, a, a more energetic practice with quicker rotations, et cetera, all the principles. And yet without asking every parent to go boil that ocean and become that great coach, let's give them a tool in their hands. That's 2022 app driven. Uh, it's, it, it dropped my jaw and I shed a tear and I said, we need to work together. And, and that's what I'm doing.
0: Hey, yeah. sharing practice plans with parents is a great idea, by the way. It, it, it almost goes to that education piece. Where they're doing their homework at home, too, that, okay, you send the practice plan out to the parent, they can relay to the kids, like, hey, this is what you're doing today, and maybe that, that's a way to get them out in the backyard, too, is like, hey, here's what you're doing today, maybe we can work on some of these things that you're going to do at practice today before you get there. Oh my God! Amen.
1: You can get you can get you can get players familiar with. Can you imagine your players being familiar with your practice plan before they show up? And that's you college imagine?
0: model. We always send it out before at the college level. It's a great way to allow them to know what's going on that day and be able to mentally mentally prepare for what they're going to go through that day of practice too.
1: Yeah, creates a we thing, not a me thing. You've got some accountability and some ownership of today's workout. And, and uh, at, the, at the youth ranks, people are always struggling to get participation of parents and volunteers. Uh, you're putting people in a position to success. You're coaching your, your fellow parents to get on the field and support you. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest no-brainer, right? It's, it's just a complete no-brainer that needs to happen. I believe it will happen. It's just, you know, if the market is ready to support, there's a, there's a four-fee portion that, that is basically taking – uh, one-on-one at home if you want to take it to the next level you can but all the coaches tools which I'm involved with um, are, are free which is just remarkable right like there is a purpose and a mission to to get these to reverse these trends you talk about the participatory numbers participatory numbers going down but We we need kids back on the field we need kids playing and, and in our case it's baseball but it's not it's not unique to our sport right It's 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 a youth challenge to keep activity levels up to keep them playing and competing and on a field of play here in Southern California we got to keep the fields themselves right we struggle to find open space and green space um, so this is a really really cool tool that I think has a chance to support that effort and that challenge
0: hey you talked about using the count system with the young guys on the mound would you transfer that over to your college guys too we're using those same checkpoints yeah. And I think for me is the, that's the best instruction is something you can use with a a six or seven year old kid. And then you can also use it with a 23, 24, 25 year old.
1: So what I would, yep, exactly right. I I believe we build a foundation and we, we we might race through that very, very quickly, Ryan, obviously with a college guy, but I'm taking them through. I want them to be their own instructor. So I'm taking them through and I'll even tell them if I need to appease to an ego, Hey, here's what I would teach to the young guy. And here's why. And really, I want to make sure they know a lot, of these, a lot of these elite athletes, they move real well, but they don't know what they're doing. And I always wonder if, you know, 80 percent of the big leaguers have no clue what they're doing. They're just so big, so good, so fast. They get cycled through three and a half years of their five years of service and they're gone. Right. But those that stick, I think, become students of the game. They really understand what they're doing. They become professionals. The youngest ages at the college age, I would do. And again, this is community college it was a really, really unique level. I would have my pitchers come in a full week early and we would dedicate, we did a week long boot camp, And so we would dive in with video analysis. And again, these kids are turning over every year, maybe two. So I'd get a whole new batch of kids. Shoot. We got to train these guys up to understand we want to be addressing them as college pitchers, but a lot of these community college guys are good arms have never pitched. Holy smokes. Right. We got to give them a foundational base. We got to give them, the language that we speak here at the program, the, the techniques that I follow, having banged my head against this wall for 20 years, so I would do a one-week, really intensive pitchers-only uh, boot camp, and we would lay down position one, position two, position three, but we would get to movement much more fast, you know, m- much quicker. Um, but yeah, the principles hold true, and and obviously the calendar was different as well. So in the fall. We would grind through more mechanical training. And as we flipped the calendar after January, we would be much more game prep. You know, we're breaking pitches down in the fall. We're much more competitively using those pitches in the spring. And that ramp ups real quick when you come back from Christmas. I always remember we had like three weeks between coming back after winter break before our first game. So it was it was go time, right? As soon as you
0: came back. How can we get facility owners and and high school and college coaches communicating better with each other? Mm. Uh, that's a great, great question. I mean, you know, you've been on to, both sides of it now, yeah. you know, how can we streamline that information? Cause both are important. Um, oh, you know, yeah, college so like guys happens? and high school guys can't be with their guys all the time. And then you're going to have somebody that goes into a facility. So for me, uh, from oh, a holistic great. approach piece, Every part of that is important for a player's development, and so how can we streamline that communication piece from the facility Ooh. side to the the competitive coaching side? How can we streamline that communication with each other? And what are some tips that maybe work, that maybe what some coaches aren't doing right now?
1: Okay, I've got a great a great answer for you that popped up. As the facility owner, um, I think I think you're right. I think that there's a there's a there's a, a, a and, and comp- it doesn't need
0: to be there. It, it, like. No, that that, that no, friction we, that we have right now with some coaches and facility, like it doesn't need to be there. Like we can we can eliminate those roadblocks and and again, get back to serving the individual athlete.
1: Well, and I, I think you're right. Like, well, w- why is that friction there? And, it's and ego found, thing. it's a, yeah, an ego. It's yeah, an ego. You're thing. right. You're right. It might be. Yeah. Or, or it might be some some questionable instruction being taught or something that, yeah. that you're not vibing with. Um, so the thing that popped in mind for me is relationships communication right now high school coaches are so strapped for time. One of the things as a facility owner that I did um, in the fall was we, we hosted success seminars. So on a Wednesday night, we would try to host an intro to high school, we would host a high school to college, and we would have a professional scout come down. So we wanted to kind of serve all the markets we did it like on a Wednesday night late, you know, ish when the, the shop was closing up seven 30 or eight and went for 90 minutes. But I had all the area high school coaches come down, and so we'd put them on a panel, almost you know like a press conference panel, and the community would come down, and we'd 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 open forum it. So we'd proctor the discussion and get look. It was a marketing thing for the high schools. Come down, let let people see who you are, what your philosophies are, answer a couple of questions. Um, but I know that from, from my perspective as well as I was building relationship and rapport with all the local you know the ge- geography of ten miles around me. I needed to know real well. Um, but I think that broke down the barriers where, all of a sudden, there was a trust where if they had a real issue before they would say, Don't go over there, don't go see those guys. They'd pick up the phone and call yeah. What's going on with this guy? What's he doing? Right. And then we became an asset where they realized, Look, like, you only get so much time on the field, they need more. And I think parents are vastly um, out of whack with their expectations. Like, it's hard to find a dedicated pitching coach that has the hours of 1 to 4 p.m. available for free, right? Like, I don't, you're not finding the next uh, uh, pitching coach you'll see on, on TV. Uh, but you might find someone who's got a heart of gold who's going to help. So, w- with that, like, the high school should be looking at, hey, i got a professional in the community that can really help my kids. Yep. So, I don't know where that's just going to come. Yeah, the and person. I, I –
0: did you go watch your guys competitively? Like you have a kid come in the facility. Would you go watch them pitch competitively if you had an opportunity to do that?
1: Uh not nearly as much as I well should. it's hard.
0: Like those are your competing hours, but that would be yeah. the other yeah. that would be the other thing that I would tell a facility owner is if you can go watch them actually play a, a game, whether Absolutely. it's high school or college, go watch them because then the the coach on the other side sees that you're actually making an effort to see if, okay, what you're working on is, is translating to that side of it too. I think that's an olive mm-hmm. branch piece that I know it's hard that facility owners are, are strapped for time to get their lessons in, but that's also an olive branch piece is that, okay, I'm working with one of your guys. I'm actually coming. And, and even if it's for just an inning or just pop over yes. there, I think that's an olive branch piece that, that you can bridge the gap between the facilities and the, the competitive coaches also.
1: Amen. Amen. I, I think that's a great, great point, Ryan. I I, I know introspectively, I really struggled with that, especially as I had a family, right? Those yes. nights and weekends gave even more strapped. Um, I got out of the facility business for that reason. I saw my peers getting divorced. I saw different things happen because you're always gone. Um, but what a great, great point. Building rapport with those coaches by them seeing you actually, oh, you're coming to my shop, you know, my field and seeing your guy work. Plus, because I mean, that, that is the, one of the great challenges to the, the, the private instructor is, yeah, you train them in the bullpen, but you have no idea how they compete. Yeah. And you, you do need to see that. So I, I vividly remember as a younger coach, Saturdays trying to make a round across a couple parks to whether, you know, to see a couple rec league guys, get over to the high school, see a couple of high school guys. And then, you know, half of Saturday becomes mine, but oh, not much.
0: Or, or even if every parent has an iPhone now, hey, bring me their game footage, you know, whether you're mm-hmm. working with a hitter or a pitcher, like, hey, bring their game footage in to yeah. me so I have an idea how they're doing in a game setting. Like, those, those right. are, again, those are, that's part of the holistic approach to all of this is that the facility side is important, the training piece is important, but the competitive side too, because, again, that goes into that mastery piece. Like, mm. you know, you should want to know what you're working on in the facility is helping them master their performance in a game setting.
1: Right, right. I, I was watching a thing with our, our buddy Steve Springer just randomly and, and he was talking about, uh, what is say, mental, physical and approach, you know, or mechanics, mental and approach and how he over the years has morphed and now it's approach mental mechanics, right? Yeah. So getting, realizing that we're, we're all not as important as we think, The, the competing has got to be number one, right? Your mental and your approach to on-field competition is how, how, how is this athlete translating it to the mound? or to the batter's box or wherever his area of focus is, 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 is am I helping him apply that? You know, I, and the same thing comes back to coaching one-on-one and coaching clinics and tools that help coaches It's like, yeah, we can coach you up with, with uh, on technique of the swing, but when you're dealing with nine-year-olds, you could be the world's greatest hitting instructor and never have a chance to teach anything remotely close to hitting because this is a different sport, right? This is a whole different animal. So,
0: <laughs> breathing and setup—that was where we we started with the young bucks. Was breathing routines, and then get them set up in the box. Rob and I will talk about that with their T-ball league. He's that does some really cool modification pieces. They, they have the feet in the boxes when they're playing so they know where their feet are supposed to go. Like um, it'll be good info for anybody that's trying to master the, the six to nine year old age range. Uh, They're doing some unique things. Yes. Yeah. They're again, they, they need those reminders. Um, And that saves you time as a coach too, because you're not having to tell every kid like, Hey, here's where your feet go. Here's, you know, again, those are some time savers for you that you can get back to the rep piece also.
1: We, we, yeah, I, I, I'm loaded with those things, but we call it two toes, blue cones. We got blue cones in front. Your toes go to the blue cones. You step to a green cone and the, and the athletes know after the first practice, you're always going to find two blue cones and you're actually going to find a green cone. I don't know why it's blue and green, but two toes, blue cones, step to the green. That's all you're allowed. Right. And, you, and again, the, the reality is you, you'll save six and a half seconds per swing, but you'll save that times, you know, hundred, 150 swings. You only got 90 minutes. You just save five minutes. That's a big deal. You know, so a bunch of those tricks. Yeah, a bunch of those tricks. That's a great one.
0: <laughs> hey, you and I have talked about working out. How are you carving out time in your day to be able to work out for for your own self-care?
1: Um, I'm Evolving and flowing and changing. A couple of years ago, it took me till I was 40 years old to hit the 5.30 a.m. club. I spent a couple of years at the 5.30 a.m. club. That was a life-changing very strange. Uh, I'm away from that now, but that put me to bed earlier, which is where I'm struggling now. Um, r- right now with, with kid drop-off schedules, I do a lot immediately after kid drop-off, you know, I kind of squeeze in it before the day starts. Um, and then there's a midday lunch break, you know, there's a midday lunch break, but I've, I've been real consistent. I still, still play hoops one day a week on Sundays. I get my long jog on Saturdays, and then I'm hitting the gym at least three days a week during the during the week. So I, it, it, I know this, I'm a better coach. I'm a better parent. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband, uh, when I'm working out and I've got to the age where I know that it's important to me, I'm going to make time for it. And my employers know, and my wife knows and my parent, my kids know if daddy doesn't do this, he, 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 you know, he's a, what, I don't know how the, the term is, but he's not as good across the board. Uh, it's important. So eating, moving, sleeping, those are those creeps. What about nutrition go-to's
0: you have nutrition go-to's? Uh, I married well, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was no, fortunate I, I, with I, my family, my mom and dad, it was always fruits and vegetables yeah. and fresh food. So like I got in that habit of this is how you actually eat. And then my wife as well, like we've, she and I have a great relationship as far as food goes, yep. because it's just, it's, there's the right things in our house. And it's just like any other habit. Like if, if, <laughs> if junk's around then you're going to go to it, but if it's not there, then you got to pick other nutrition options.
1: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I've been blessed to to have kind of grown up in a household where nutrition was was ingrained. So I don't I don't follow any particular diet, but I don't eat fast food. Um, you know, I'm doing some intermittent fasting things. I'm just constantly studying and trying to be the best I can be. So I know that um, it, I did just think of, of the coaching lifestyle. And I knew I would get that anxious feeling of like, holy crap. Uh, practice starts in 90 minutes, practice starts in 30 minutes. And then always, always every day be racing to the field. And a lot of that would carry with me because I feel like I wasn't prepared well enough for my kids. Hope all the coaches kind of can, can share like, yeah, I feel it. I understand it. And I know those are the days when, when I would grab something on the way, you know, and so I'm not, I'm not in that lifestyle anymore, uh, of having a one o'clock practice. Again, we would uh, early afternoon out here in Southern California, most, most
0: schools, but, um, I'm reading reading some Joe, I'm reading some Joe Dispenza right now. And uh, some of it's out there, like out there, out there stuff. But he talks about with cortisol, like people get addicted to the stress hormones. So like someone that is, is just continually stressed. Once they start to make some changes, their body fights it a little bit because they're not getting those stress hormones. And so that's, kind of how you see people have reactions over and over where it's like, why are they reacting that way? Well, it's because they're trying to overload their body with those stress hormones, which is something I had never even really thought about that. And again, that's why it's hard to make some changes sometimes too. But yeah, people get addicted to those stress hormones also. So they almost do that to themselves or they cause stress yeah. because of, of their daily habits, which is, is crazy to think about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm simplified to eating, moving, sleeping. Eating, moving, sleeping, right? Like, if I can't. What's your intermittent fasting
0: schedule? I mean, do you have a strict intermittent fasting schedule? No. no Mine's just very, nothing very... after 8 p.m. That, that's what I've stayed with for about the last three years it, three, four years is no nutrition after 8 p.m. Now, I'll, I'll yeah. eat a lot before that point, uh, <laughs> and I do spread it out. I do like the meal frequency plan, and that's something that I, I took from when I was coaching uh, players, you're asking them to try to get meal frequencies in. I do the same thing that I, I was asking them to do, but yeah, the, the nothing after 8 PM has, has been a life changer for me as far as waking up, feeling better.
1: Mm, yeah. B- big challenge for me currently is, is that life, life pushes me later. Yes. You know, where, where if I'm in a cage Thursday night's my big night in a cage, I'm not getting home till 10. I haven't eaten since 3:30. Um, You know, and then there's a, a an evening with my kids till eight eight thirty. There's a a night with the fellas playing hoops till nine p.m. That's where I really, I mean, again, we're all steady, and we're all evolving from sleep schedules to workout schedules to nutrition. So the intermittent fasting stuff uh, for me is pushing pushing my first meal later, yep. but then I'm trying to do a workout in the morning. So sometimes my energy's dragging. I'm wondering, is this, you know, should I be going to the gym on nothing?
0: I say all down bets down. are off, you know, that's part of evolving too, is as your kids get older, it's easier to do some of those things. I, I was white knuckling it when, when I was coaching college and my kids were, were little, I was white knuckling it, just trying to get through the day. And as I think as we all are, so as your kids get older, it's easier to do some of those things. So anybody listening as young kids, like just try to get through it as best you can. And if you get one thing in a day or, or a thing in a week, like you've done your job as a parent.
1: Like, yeah. And honor your, honor your fundamentals through consistency, right? Those, I think there are those principles that we can like a, a, avoid the drive-through find a way to avoid that drive through. Right. Yes. But I'm not, by no means am I preaching, preaching uh, uh, over my skis here, but uh, sleep is important. Nutrition is important and, and it makes you a better coach, makes you a better father. So I have gotten more and more comfortable professionally saying, look, no, I, I, I'm unavailable. I'm working out you know, and, and going away from when, when the young, like no, I work till 2 a.m., I'm available, let's go. I'm always available, I'll answer your email in an hour. It's like, well, no, actually I won't, um, but I will responsibly kick some behind when you, when I need to perform. I'm going to put forth a, a great effort and a good product, but, but I'm going to do that because I'm honoring my principles, my fundamentals of
0: eating, moving, and sleeping. The breaks are important. and And that goes back to youth sports too. Like the breaks for them are important. Like- you know they're going to retain more information in their skills when they get a break here and there, and that might be an off-season break from it. And I was going to ask you that with your nine U kids. I mean, what are you going to recommend when your season's done? What are you going to recommend to them for the off-season? I think
1: I I've got it easy uh, in that my kid is a a right in the middle of the the talent spectrum. We don't play we play baseball in the spring. That's it. So uh, I, and again, I say that I've got it easy because he hasn't he hasn't morphed into a more involved baseball player, which at this point is, is great for me. I, I'm really, really sensitive and familiar with the, the seasonality and the, the annual cycles. Um, but if, if if he were more aggressive, we would do what I mentioned earlier. We would play rec ball in the spring, take a big shutdown in the summer, have a more competitive short season fall Um, you know, more, more game reps, lower RPMs, as far as pitch counts or, or extreme levels, um, shut it down in the winter and go again. That's what I would do at this age. If I had a more competitive athlete, um, at at this point we're playing flag football in the fall, we're playing soccer in the fall. That's how Jackson was too. You know, his
0: activities allowed him to get a break because he was playing four and five sports. So it. it just allowed him to move into the next thing. So we never really had to even address it with if he should get and, shut down because he was moving on to the next sport.
1: But then you could share and he ended up continuing and playing and blossoming and developing. And yes. so, you know, the perspective and the expertise you know, yeah, the he did. can and, offer. And us. then he
0: focused on track because track was his best thing later on. But he stayed with with four and, and five all the way up until high school. And then once he got into high school, he started to make some decisions to whittle it down, but stayed with basketball track and, and baseball until he got to junior year with COVID. So, I mean, it, he stayed with yeah. a lot of it, um, and I, and was was serviceable and everything. You know, and again, yeah. I, I think. It, but it, as a parent, I think if he would have been like, well, yeah, I want to spend more time on this one thing, we would have been like, okay, then that's what you're going to sure. do. So I do understand as a parent if you have a child that that wants to focus on one thing. But you also have to be the adult in the room at times. But but again, that's where the the warm up piece. Those one sport athletes. That's why your important uh, warm up piece is important for them, and and making sure it's different. And we've had great. Joe Eisenman and Jimmy Onati have done great um, youth stage talks on how you actually have a warm up. So go watch those. You're going to get a proper warm up with animal movements and and a bunch of different things that you don't normally see that are going to allow kids to stay healthier as they they go get older.
1: Right. I, I love the, the line that the the market will play too. Like le, le, if if and when an athlete needs to focus on a particular. S- Sport. The market will tell them. Yes. Right. I always. I always. My answer to parents is always like, "Hey, well, is your kid playing? If your kid's not playing, and then he's not good enough. Yeah. You you might need to focus. The game's gonna pass him by. Right. Like, yeah. don't overthink it. But if if your kid is the stud, and you are going back to Coach Kibler's question, but if your your kid is the stud, and he's a high ranked twelve year old. He's fine. Yeah. Right. Like. He's going to be fine. He's not the guy we're worried about, right? Like, he can go play football, he can go play soccer, go play basketball, and he's still going to be a stud, right? Now, at some point, either he'll decide or the market will tell him, "Hey, you're going to have to to maintain that level or that difference or that gap. You're going to have to really work at this." Well, yeah, be responsible and, and honor that. But uh, until then, I think the the theme for today is a perspective, is we can all take a deep breath, keep the game fun, keep the kids playing, find great help. Uh, and you're, you had a great comment about making sure that your kid wants you on the field still, you know, and really being able to read that room. Like, are you just telling daddy that because, yes. you know, we're buddies or you're being honest with me here. Yep. I think that's really important.
0: What are some final thoughts or maybe something I should have asked that I didn't?
1: Oh man, really good conversation.
0: Um, I mean, you did, you kind of wrapped it up good there, but is there something I didn't ask that I should have? Something? No,
1: no. No, I, I think it's been, re- this has been a really, really cool experience for me, so I thank you. Well, maybe just highlighting um, a, a need for the Ethics Award nominations and also for youth membership. Yes. Uh, we struggle, and I know, trying to find Ethics Award nominees at the youth level. They're not members of the ABCA. Oftentimes, I have to encourage membership first and then nominate them, um, so we're looking for tools Ways to entice youth coaches. We're looking to get more participation for youth coaches. I think I think that's a kind of. And real... Rob
0: and I are going to talk about that a lot because he's you know he's the youth committee chair, so he's brought some really cool things to the table about how to get more youth coach involvement. So the, that'll be some things that Rob and I are going to discuss in the next episode. So I'm excited for these because we, again we haven't done a lot of the youth episodes but this is the right time for this with seasons getting ready to start and it is our largest growing membership even though you know it might be low like youth travel high school that's 68 percent of our membership now so we are growing immensely in those areas and so we need to continue to have our footprint in those areas and try to help because it's it's going to grow the game it's going to make the game stronger if we have good youth coaches and good parent interaction at that level it's going to allow kids that want to keep playing, uh, men and women that want to keep playing the game and want to give back. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for.
1: Yeah, and it's going to deliver the elite coach
0: a better athlete, yes, right? We're sure. More prepared
1: and more well-rounded. Just, it helps across the board. So,
0: yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Daniel, I had a great time, man. This was awesome. I appreciate it. All right, Ryan. Thank you. Anyone can make a positive impact in their community if they're willing to reach out. All of us have a responsibility to give back and help in any way we can. Wish Coach Keller the best on his new endeavor with the Mojo app and coaching up nine-year-olds. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at Twitter and TikTok, Coach B underscore ABCA, Instagram at Ryan Brownley17, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownley signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you.